0: wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, sí, señor. Sarah Tafoya, yes,
1: bye bye.
0: and Glenn Leverens. This is Morning Air
2: on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Yes, indeed. Wake up, America. It's Friday, January 13th, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Hilary, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverens. Our studio producer is Gabby Burke. Sarah is off today. Thanks so much for joining us all across America here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Fridays, we always remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bring in my colleague, uh, Morning Air News anchor, uh, Glenn Leverance. Uh, Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines this hour here on this Friday morning?
3: It might have been a tough call, but Attorney General Merrick Garland had to appoint a Special counsel to oversee the investigation into President Biden's handling of classified documents from his time as vice president. Some were found just before the midterm elections. The news of that came out, found in an office he had used after he was vice president. That news just came out a few days ago. And now news more of those documents being found in various places. A couple of different spots on his property in Delaware, including in his garage next to his sports car.
0: That would be uh, his Corvette uh, Stingray, uh, Glenn. Uh, A lot of uh, perspectives, a lot of questions out there uh, in in the media uh, about uh, what is being described as a major scandal for the president. Um, In fact, um, one of the experts uh, that we heard from yesterday on the Drew Mariani show uh, was uh, former um, assistant U.S. attorney Andy McCarthy, who, who spoke to Drew about this scandal.
4: I I think it's all very uh, puzzling. And those are the uh, sort of intriguing aspects of it. It, It's weird, Drew, that at this early stage, we know a lot about the evidence and what the defense position is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we know that they're going to be able to prove that these were classified documents in an unauthorized place and that Biden would say that uh, he inadvertently misplaced them, which really isn't a defense. So we know a lot about like the four corners of of the evidence. But how we got here at this point And why and who, you know, pushed this so that we became aware of it. And if there is a political intrigue angle, like somebody doesn't want Biden to run, has decided that, uh, you know, he's not uh, a viable 2024 candidate and they're trying to pave the way for him to step aside. Who knows? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we don't know at this point. Uh, And it'll be interesting to to see as as things go forward.
0: And you can hear that whole fascinating interview with Drew, uh, with Andy McCarthy, uh, on the Drew Mariani Show uh, podcast here at uh, RelevantRadio.com. Uh, Glenn, uh, another uh, story that uh, is touching the hearts of many Americans is the the passing of Lisa Marie Presley.
3: Yeah, that's right. Elvis and Priscilla's only daughter, Lisa Marie, uh, has died this week, yesterday, uh, apparently of cardiac arrest at the age of just 54, seen on TV nationwide the night before at the Golden Globes. Uh, again, the the only daughter of Elvis and uh, a couple of her husbands include some famous folks as well. Uh, Michael Jackson and actor Nicholas Cage. She also had a, a top five album back in 2003 as well.
0: Way uh, too young. May she rest in peace. Uh, some news uh, in minor league baseball this morning, Glenn.
3: Could be coming to the majors uh, in the next few years. And if you're used to hollering at the umpire on those missed ball and strike counts, well, half the games in AAA, just one quick step away from the majors, going to use, let's see, electronic umpiring. So they're going to be having the balls and strikes called automatically. Uh, and so there shouldn't be argument about that. Although, John, you know, as a longtime baseball player and fan, you know, there might still be some arguments. But but who do you holler at?
4: <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, how the umpires react and also how the players on the field react at the AAA level. Uh, it sure looks like it's coming to MLB uh, sometime soon.
3: It sure does. And uh, it feels good in the midst of January here to talk a little baseball to warm us up, but I know we'll be talking a lot of football before this hour is through as well.
0: Absolutely, we will definitely be talking uh, football of the NFL variety a little bit later in the show uh, with Father Richard Roca, the chaplain of the Kansas City uh, Chiefs. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. Sure thing, John. We always, always start every hour, every day here in prayer, uh, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Always. Through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn, and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. Saint Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Saint John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit, the executive producer of Morning Air, when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that the spiritual life is like an athletic competition. Using the language of sports, athletes fight and prepare to win a crown like the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, How about them dogs, the recent back-to-back college football national champions? But as spiritual athletes for Christ— Our goal is the crown of eternal life, an incorruptible crown with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints in heaven for all eternity. I want to encourage you to run the race of life and run to win with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chaplet of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, as we approach the National March for Life in Washington, D.C., which is actually a week from today, this morning we are going to talk about how reality is not arbitrary when it comes to gender and when it comes to the defense of human life. Earlier this week, I spoke with Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and regular contributor to Morning Air and Relevant Radio, about uh, this upcoming March for Life and why reality is not arbitrary. Here's my conversation with Monsignor Shea. Good morning, Monsignor Shea. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, it's great to be with you once again.
5: Good morning, John. It's great to be with you, too. And of course, next week is the 50th annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., and the first March for Life to be held after the overturn of roe versus wade and so we're gearing up here at the university of mary we've got about three hundred uh... young people from our campus who will be busing from bismarck north dakota down to washington dc for the march for life and then we have a state march for life here and hundreds of other students on our campus who don't go to washington show up at that march and so next week the university of mary will be united in prayer and thanksgiving for the overturn of roe versus wade and praying for the future, for the sanctity of human life, and the protection of human life in our country in every state.
0: Well, Monsignor, uh, this March for Life in D.C. is really going to be different than any other march. I mean, this is something that we've been praying about now Uh, for nearly 50 years. It'll be the first one since Roe was was uh, overturned. Do you think it'll be uh, different? Do you think it'll have a different tone?
5: well you know i've been going to the march for life for many many years the article that we were referring to reality is not arbitrary was an interview that i had done with Jeannie mancini who for many years now i think probably for eleven years or so has been the head of the march for life she succeeded the late Nellie gray who was the founder of march for life who started the march for life the year after uh, roe versus wade so i've been going for many years john and um... i know that it will be different this time if if only because the destination is different uh... for many years we've always marched to the supreme court from the general mall from the mall of the Capitol, where the rally for life happens all the way to the supreme court up constitution avenue this year they've changed it this year it's a march not to the supreme court but to the Capitol, because with the overturn of roe versus wade uh... the question of abortion and the legalization of abortion has been returned to the people uh... and so the march now will go from the national mall to the capitol building which is where legislation happens and so we'll be praying and um, uh... and marching for the legal protection of the unborn child uh... and for other compassionate laws uh... Up, up building marriage and family uh... to be passed in our nation and so that's the new uh... thrust of the march for life I also think that um, the pro-life movement faces an important moment in its history. For such a long time, uh, we labored under the constriction of Roe v. Wade, which prohibited any um, serious uh, pro-life legislation even after Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which was perceived as as loosening up the stricture on pro-life legislation a little bit. But now it has truly been returned to the states, and, um, and the pathway is open as well for federal protection of the unborn child. And so I think that there will be a new energy and a new hope. Also, um, I think that there's a new need for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the pro-life movement so that we might be given the wisdom how now, uh, in this new moment, to win the hearts and minds of people in a deeper fashion now that uh, the protection of the unborn child isn't dependent simply upon the fiat of the justices of the Supreme Court, but really has been returned for discussion in our civil life. And that's what we need to do. We need to talk about what's, what matters to us as a society and whether or not the unborn child will be welcome among us.
0: Well, Monsignor Shea, uh, Jeannie Mancini, who you uh, interviewed uh, for uh, this article, Reality is Not Arbitrary, she is absolutely outstanding. She's done such a great job uh, leading the the March for Life. Uh, She's so uh, powerful when she uh, is interviewed by the mainstream media and presenting the pro-life case, and I really enjoyed uh, your conversation with her, reading about it.
5: Yeah, so when you see Jeannie Mancini, even on the most hostile television program, She always exudes a true Christian joy, because her work in the pro-life movement is rooted not in political conviction primarily, but in her deepest convictions about the value uh, of human life, about how precious it is and how dignified human life is at every stage. And also, she has the joy of the gospel pulsing through her. I've been honored to host her several times here at the University of Mary. She uh came and was our speaker for Prayer Day one year. And just this past year, on the 100th birthday of St. John Abratomola, when we rededicated our entire School of Health Sciences to the namesake of St. John, when we placed uh, the entire School of Health Sciences under St. John's patronage, Jeannie was here. And every time I'm with her, I'm just struck uh, by how confident she is in God how unshakable her faith is, uh, and how joyful that makes her. And, of course, that's what God wants for each of us. He doesn't want us to stew in anger and disappointment about how things are going in the world. And Jeannie, of course, as a pro-life leader, has dealt with bitter disappointment as well as triumphs and and, uh, encouraging moments in the course of her life. And that disappointment... Uh, when we look out and we see things darkening in our culture, that disappointment is kept at bay by the joyful proclamation of the gospel and the fact that Jesus and his conquering kingdom live in our hearts. And that gives us great, great encouragement to go forward. And so uh, she's such a cheerful warrior, uh, and I'm so grateful to her for her insight.
0: I'm so uh, blessed to uh, have met her. I too uh, have had the opportunity to interview her. In fact, she is uh, in the 40 film, a very important part uh, of of the film uh, when it comes to the March for Life. Monsignor Mm -hmm. Shea, can you talk a little bit about some of the intellectual and some of the spiritual wounds that that our culture uh, needs uh, healing in, in order for life uh, to really triumph in in a significant and lasting way?
5: Yeah, that that was one of the main things that Jeannie and I had talked about in this interview, reality is not arbitrary, because I had said to her, beyond the political questions, which of course are at the forefront of the work of the pro-life movement, there's a deeper question of the intellectual and moral and spiritual wounds of our culture. When I asked Jeannie about that, that was her primary answer. She said, we have to remind people that reality is not arbitrary. And she gave the example of gender identity to begin with. You know, we're, we're in a highly scientific age. From a scientific point of view, uh, our, our approach to, um, to questions, even of daily life, is highly scientific. Um, and we pride ourselves in that. And yet, uh, and yet on certain areas which have to do with ideology or emotion or psychological distress... On some of these particular questions, we don't let the truth speak very clearly. And so she said, for instance, uh, that one's own perception of one's gender doesn't make it true, uh, that reality is not arbitrary. And then uh, she gave the example as well, as you would expect, of the pro-life question. She said, if, if, um, if, if, if I say that an unborn child is just a blob of tissue, that doesn't make it true. And so uh, the, the, the ability, the courage, the honesty of placing our lives uh, at the foot of truth and saying, I will pursue the truth and allow my life to be shaped and formed by it. I will train my mind. I will train my heart. I will train my intellect, will, and even my passions such that my life is ordered toward that which is true and beautiful and good, that's a pathway of moral and intellectual conversion, which then touched by grace, makes for holiness. And this is what each of us is called to. And so it's just so important that we recognize that oftentimes when we're addressing these issues, like the the question of the protection of the unborn, we need to remind people that altogether we as human beings are seeking the truth together. And that we need to follow the truth wherever it goes. People often say follow the science, follow, si- follow the science, follow the science, but oftentimes they don't really mean that. They mean uh, okay, let's follow the ideology, the
0: political science.
5: <laughs> yeah, the political science. Let's follow the ideology that, that uh, some of this uh, some of this science appears possibly to be leading us toward.
0: That is such a great point. Monsignor, I, I just know that uh, science is on our side when it comes uh, to uh, the gender issue, when it comes uh, to the life issues. Uh, without a doubt, uh, science ha- is catching up to Scripture.
5: <laughs> well, right. It, it's an amazing thing when you consider, uh, when you consider the, the access that we have now to observe the unborn child in the womb uh... the the ultrasound technology that in nineteen seventy three at the time of roe versus wade was only in its nascent form now of course we're able in, in almost technicolor <laughs> to be able to see the unborn child to observe her in the womb and to uh, come to understand we're able to hear the heartbeat for instance, of unborn children, much, much earlier than ever before. Not only that, but viability, which was a central question in the Dobbs decision. Remember, the question of viability, viability because of scientific advance has been receding and receding closer and closer uh, to the beginning of the pregnancy. In other words, uh, children are able to be born outside of their mother's womb earlier and earlier now because of the technological progress and the, and the scientific advancement which has happened. And so when you say that science is on our side uh, in terms of the pro-life question, that's absolutely true, John.
1: For
0: sure. And the women that actually see those ultrasounds, the vast majority of them end up uh, choosing life and keeping their baby. Um, what about the role of a faithful Catholic education uh, in the healing of, uh, of, of our culture?
5: Well, right, Uh, this also was something that Jeannie and I discussed, and I think uh, I have this deep conviction, John, uh, that the work of Catholic universities is not simply to prepare students for their careers, obviously we need to do that, but to remind them of their humanity. We do live in a time in which people feel disembodied or separated or fragmented from the deepest, meaning of their life this is why it's one of the reasons that we see such anxiety and depression such restlessness and and sort of aching longing among this rising generation the the young people that i deal with uh... that i serve uh... that i'm privileged to be with here at the university of mary even those who come from great families oftentimes struggle to cope with the demands and the pressures of life and that's because at least in part They've been, um, they've been separated from their deepest purposes. And we need to remind them that they're human beings with immortal souls and eternal destinies, that their lives truly do matter, not just sometime in the future, but that the, the choices that they make every day now has a deep impact upon the way that they'll live their lives upon their capacity for happiness, and upon their eternal destiny. And so we're dedicated here at the University of Mary, which is a place of faithful education, which is, which is filled with the hope and the joy of the Gospel and the spirit of reverence for life that we've been talking about in terms of pro-life questions. We're dedicated to consecrating our mission to helping young people to understand that they're meant to be human in the fullest sense. Remember, the glory of God is man fully alive. That's from St. Irenaeus.
0: Monsignor Shea, um, finally, uh, in our final moments here, I'd like to get your thoughts on uh, the young people, uh, the youth in the pro-life movement, uh, described as the pro-life generation and now the post-road generation. Can you talk about how important they are going forward as this battle continues for the culture of life?
5: Well, anybody who's ever been to the National March for Life in Washington has seen this, that it's been getting younger and younger and more and more joyful. What can happen in the course of a person's life is when you're in the battle, when you're fighting and fighting, you can become cynical at a certain, cent, at a certain point. But young people are fresh. They're on the doorstep of their lives. And it's important for them to be able to give their hearts to great causes, that's why we've put so much accent here at the university of mary upon the pro-life cause because this is a cause that young people can not only pour their hearts into but they can make a real lasting difference in and so they are the pro uh, the the post row generation they are the pro-life generation and they take that upon themselves very joyfully and so it's a beautiful thing for us to witness that, but we witness it on our our campus every day, and I think it's important for all of our listeners to know that, that there's so much hope for the future, that what you read in the mainstream media isn't the whole of the story, that our young people are providing for, they're fighting for, they're longing for, they're marching for a future which is full of the reverence and the protection of human life. And they will continue to work for that. And they do it with great energy and tremendous joy.
0: Well, Monsignor Shea, uh, many blessings uh, in your trip with the University of Mary and the 300-plus uh, students that are going to the upcoming March for Life. We'd love to check in with you while you're in D.C.
5: I'm always ready for that, John.
0: That would be fantastic. As always, thanks so much uh, for being with us, uh, Monsignor.
5: All right. God bless you. God bless you. you.
0: <laughs> My senior, James Shea, the president of the University of Mary and a regular contributor to Morning Air. To learn much more about the University of Mary, visit Come to Mary. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview. This is Morning Air. With John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverens. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm, I'm John Morales. It's great to be with you here on this Friday morning. Our number, if you want to be part of the conversation, That's 888-914-9149. That's 888
4: The decision is out. It's been issued by Justice Alito. And Roe v. Wade, according to our reports from the U.S. Supreme Court and our own Shannon Bream, is that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and the question of abortion has been returned to the states.
0: And that was uh, Bill Hemmer with a dramatic announcement uh, on Fox News back on June 24th. Now, after Roe was overturned last summer, it's been a definite challenge for the pro-life movement to keep up with the attacks and the assaults by big abortion and those who promote the culture of death. But after Roe, there is also a big challenge at many different levels to construct a post-Roe world, one in which mothers, babies and families are protected and cared for with the care that they deserve. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air contributor and pro- Life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito to talk about building a civilization of love. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to be with you once again here early in the new year.
2: Hi, good morning, John, and good morning to all your listeners. I still love hearing those initial news reports that Roe was gone. I still kind of, you know, have to pinch myself and say, that that really happened. You know, but it's, Uh, Thank you for for replaying that and bringing us back to that moment. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a moment in
0: history we will never forget. And uh, there were so many prayers over uh, the last 50 years for that moment to become a reality. But now uh, here we are in the post-Roll world. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, what exactly is this post-Roll world and what do we want to see and help build?
2: Well, obviously, we want to build a world where every child is welcomed in life and protected in law. So that is our overarching goal, um, that every child who is conceived will be born into a loving family, um, will be cared for, and the law will recognize and protect as it does all born people. Um, Our goal has always been, as the late Dr. Jack Wilkie put it, to love them both, to love them equally, mother and child. So we need to care for the mother, we need to care for her child, and we need to care for all who are concerned with making this a world where all life, particularly people who are vulnerable, like the elderly and the disabled, where all people have at least a basic right not to be directly killed. And we see infringements on on that in all sorts of different ways. I mean, the very frightening things that are going on in Canada right now with assisted suicide and... I have a doctor friend who treats mostly children with severe disabilities and, you know, she said they are coming for my patients. This is really terrifying to me because, you know, my children already have difficulty accessing the the care and the services that they need. So, you know, abortion has always um, not been sort of the the, the end of respect for human life because it's such a slippery slope, right? And um, Dr. Jack Kevorkian, who was known as the founder of the Assisted Suicide uh, Movement, even said publicly once that, you know, Roe paved the way for legal assisted suicide. He said, if not in law, at least in public opinion. So, um, you know, the the overall goal of the pro-life movement is really to kind of zero in on respecting all human life. And if you can't do that at the earliest stages and at the end of life, respect for everybody in between is going to start to deteriorate as well. So, um, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting time in the pro-life movement because while Roe is gone, and in some states, the unborn child are protected, unborn children are protected. Um In some states, pretty significantly. In many other states, they are not. And in fact, some of those states like, you know, California and New York and Illinois are seeking even to expand their extreme abortion policies—you um, know, making taxpayers pay for them, making elective abortions available up until the moment of birth, um, making—you know, mobile clinics setting them up alongside—you know, state lines so that women can come in. So we we really still have a lot of work to do, and I think it's going to have to go back at least in some respects, go back to the science that we've always started with, which we which of course is that we know that what you have at the moment of conception is both human and alive, to go back to that science, um, it just astounds me. I I know you're on social media a lot, John, and um, when I see people saying, you know, this is pregnancy tissue is not a human being, it's not a person, et cetera, et cetera, which is just nonsense. And so now I feel like, Oh, good Lord, do we have to go back and fight this, this battle again, we actually won that many years ago, you know, because any embryology textbook will tell you that what you have at the moment of conception is human and alive. So um, we're going to have to start, you know, reeducating people on the science and hoping that that will help them to understand the human rights component um, on which the science is grounded.
0: Well, Mary, uh, there's no question that it, it's such a challenge uh, for uh, pro-lifers uh, to really uh, present their case, especially dealing with the, uh, the mainstream media, the secular media, social media, a lot of challenges. Next week, you're going to be participating in a, in a roundtable uh, with a bunch of experts uh, on this topic of uh, building a civilization of love. Where can our listeners uh, register to, uh, to listen to this discussion?
2: Well, I, I hope that your listeners, especially those who will be in Washington for the March next week, will come. It's being sponsored by the Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. It's going to be held at the National Press Club on Thursday, January 19th at 5 30 p.m. You just go to ethicscenter.nd.edu and uh, just search for the DC panel and it'll feature myself, um, uh, the senator from Louisiana, pro-life Democrat Katrina Jackson, who's fantastic, Dr. Monique Shira-Woobahorst, who is an OBGYN, whose expertise is maternal mortality rates, especially among communities of color, and Leah Labresco and Heather Hacker, and again, myself, and we'll all be discussing these kinds of ideas that we have and the the goal of the DeNicola Center's Women and Children First Initiative, which is, again, to build that society where women are respected and their unborn children are protected. And it's it's just going to be a great conversation. And I'm really hoping that your listeners um, will, will take advantage of everyone being in the same room together. So, again, that's at ethicscenter.nd.edu, or you can go to my Twitter feed, and I've tweeted that out a couple of times already.
0: Sounds fantastic. It sounds like it's going to be a powerful roundtable. Thanks so much, Mary, as always. Really appreciate you being with us.
2: Well, thank you again, and I hope you all have a wonderful weekend.
0: You too. Many blessings. Mary Helen Fiorito. We need to, to take a short break when we come back. Father Richard Roca, the chaplain of the Kansas City Chiefs, will give us his take on the Bills, uh, Damar Hamlin's miraculous recovery. We're also going to talk some faith and NFL football. So stay with us. There's much more to come here uh, in the upcoming moments on Morning Air after this. Bringing the light of
4: Christ to start your day, this is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call AAA 914 9149 Wake up, sunshine.
0: And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and producer Gabby. Thanks so much for joining us on this Friday morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Now, the idea that prayer is improper at big-time sporting events was forgotten when Buffalo Bills safety Damar Hamlin, after a routine tackle, stood up and then collapsed in the first quarter of the Bills game with the Bengals in Cincinnati during an NFL football game on January 2nd, shocking the sports world as reported by ESPN.
4: Uh, Well, the very
6: latest that we have, Brian, is a statement from the family of DeMar Hamlin. This is coming through uh, his marketing rep, who's also his friend. And the statement reads, On behalf of our family, we want to express our sincere gratitude for the love and support shown to DeMar during this challenging time. We are deeply moved by the prayers, kind words, and donations from fans across the country. Please keep DeMar in your prayers We will release updates as soon as we have them.
0: Miraculously, uh, Damar Hamlin was discharged uh, from uh, the hospital a couple of days ago, just nine days after suffering cardiac arrest. He is continuing his rehab at home. Damar Hamlin drove our nation to to pray on ESPN's uh, commentary show NFL Live. Former Detroit Lions quarterback Dan Orlovsky took a moment to pray for Damar live on the air.
1: I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And it's just on my heart that I want to pray for. It him. It is. Demar Hamlin, right, right now. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard, uh, because we believe that you're God, and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers. But some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for DeMar, for healing for DeMar, for comfort for DeMar, to be with his family, to give them peace. If we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.
0: What a powerful, powerful moment on live television on ESPN. There's been a lot of talk uh, about God uh, around professional sports and the sports world since the incident happened. What does it say about the power of prayer? Our number, if you want to be part of this conversation, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Joining us now live for uh, much more reaction is Father Richard Roca, the Catholic chaplain for the Kansas City Chiefs. Father Roca serves as the pastor at St. Robert Bellarmine Catholic Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. He's also the chaplain for the Kansas City Royals and the Kansas City Police Department. Good morning, Father Roca. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got Mass coming up at the top of the hour. Great to be with you this morning.
6: Oh, great to be with you. And and please, I I always uh, give thanks to God for the good work that Relevant Radio does.
0: Thank you, Father. Now, uh, you've been a, a chaplain, a football chaplain. Uh, you've coached the game. You've been on the sidelines uh, for a long time. Uh, from your perspective, what was your reaction when you saw what happened to DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football?
6: Well, obviously, it, it turned toward prayer, and, and I, I actually was um, away for about two or three minutes. I did not see the play live. Obviously, there were plenty of opportunities after that. Um, but I, when I came back it, right away, it was a serious situation, it seemed. And, and, uh, I, you know, again, uh, th- these past years, the loss of that sense of prayer, the importance of prayer, um, really kind of came true to show, uh, the true colors, the power of prayer. I, uh, it's terrible that a, 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 an accident like that, um, has to happen in order for us to, uh, uh to turn to turn back to god um as a nation as an organization um you know as a society
0: you know uh nfl football and football in general has uh you know be, become america's game and for some people it's almost a religion but uh it'd be fair to say uh that uh, millions of prayers uh, were responsible for the good news that we're hearing about demar
6: exactly i um, have not talked to any of the other the Catholic chaplains, but we also, you know, obviously are are, are the team chaplains that lead, uh, you know, a service the same time that Mass uh, is happening. Uh, there's those men that uh, again their faith is important to them. I, I'm so grateful for uh, the Chiefs organization to continue to keep uh, the faith in 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 the spotlight, so to speak, in regards to to Holy Mass and then. They, uh, the, the service that they have, the chapel service as well. so uh, yes um, and, I, and I know I haven't talked to any of our uh, uh, staff or, or players uh, within that uh, uh, time frame but but no it's so important that yes it, you know forget everything else and let' let's turn to uh, let's turn to the power of prayer and uh, what a great example maybe that will ignite uh, bringing it back.
0: Father Roca, it, it was uh, very uh, inspiring uh, to see. It didn't matter whether you're a Bears fan or a Chiefs fan or, you know, uh, a Dolphins fan. It seemed like the whole nation uh, started praying uh, for Damar. Uh, it really brought our country together, and that's the beauty of sports in general um, and, and what we can see even on an NFL field.
6: Exactly. You know, that, uh, uh, it was an organization, the NFL, uh, coming together uh truly doing the right thing and and so thanks be to god for that there are a lot of criticisms about you know the uh the, the mocking prayer and even you know through the media and what have you um in years past and uh but no that you know aside from that let's let 's get away from that and just thank God for uh, the time that uh that an organization uh community uh you know entire uh, uh world of fans that love the n f l uh gather in prayer. So, I just hope it's, uh, it uh, leads to conversion of hearts.
0: Well, uh, last uh, Sunday, um, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills took the field uh, with uh, number three flags uh, in honor of DeMar Hamlin. The number three was all over uh, the stadium. It, it was uh, an impressive uh, game. Uh, listen to what happened in, on the first play of the game against the Patriots has run away as
4: new
3: england decided to defer after winning the toss and here's hines on the run back breaking a tackle and taking it past midfield and down the sideline he goes this is storybook an opening kickoff return for tamar hamlin and this place is absolutely going wild oh you just said this is storybook this is almost fate I just can't believe what just happened. Josh Allen, the same thing. Six days removed from this incredible
5: can't believe it. scene that we saw with the Bills player down in Cincinnati, and now.
0: Dramatic uh, moment as heard on CBS Sports. There, Jim Nance with the call. Uh, the uh, uh, Bills went on to win it, thirty-five to twenty-three, over the Patriots. Uh, afterwards, Bills quarterback Josh Allen said, "God is real. Um, it was. It was really uh, an, an amazing moment." Uh, and your reaction, Father?
6: You know, obviously, God is real, and, and He also uses. Uh... Secondary motivations, obviously the threes all over the place on the field, you know, uh, coaches and, and players wearing that, those, the, the number three pregame, you know, I, God always uses secondary motivations to purify the primary. And, and so hopefully again, I, as I said before, I hope this ignites, you know, the, the need, the importance, the not mocking, making fun, um, of, of a guy knelt down in prayer, um, I don't again I, I don't know if I've seen that this season much at all, but but uh the faith again is so important to us and God has to be in the center uh, of our lives. And that's these men I, I tell ours that, you know, football's gonna dissipate. It'll go away. You cannot play that game forever. Uh it's your relationship with God to be a good husband, a good father uh to your children, uh that's gonna be key, 'cause you'll you'll answer when you take your last breath.
0: Uh, Father Rocha, and we're joined this morning by Father Richard Roca, the chaplain of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Father, one other note uh, from last Sunday's game. Um, of course, we, we talked about the number three for DeMar showing up uh, all over the stadium, but it also showed up in the stats. Uh, quarterback Josh Allen threw three touchdown passes, and the Bills' defense made three interceptions. It seems like it was meant to be a real God incidence, Father.
6: Right. And, you know, if if uh, there's parallels to, you know, number of touchdowns, number of interceptions, what have you, sacks, uh, yeah, uh, just that we give uh, all the the glory and praise and honor to God. Um, you know, again, you know, it, I always would say football and, and, to the, and to the Royals, you know, this God love baseball. Where God loves you. And if this is your profession, if this is what you love and put your heart in, and he loves it as well. And that, you know, that, uh, again, it sounds so simple minded, but uh, those guys have to be uh, just continually reminded of that, that, you know what, I can, I can live my Catholic faith. I can live my Christian faith, um, you know, as a, as a player, as a coach, uh, as a part of the uh, team uh, organization. Uh, but that has to be first and foremost, God, God has to uh, just to be paramount in alive life in our hearts.
0: Well, Father, I know you've got Mass coming up uh, at the top of the hour in the final moments that we have together. Um, your thoughts, uh, the NFL playoffs are starting uh, this weekend with the uh, wild card games. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and your team, the Kansas City Chiefs, are, uh, they, they are enjoying a first-round bye, finishing 14-3 and on the season, first place in the AFC West Division. They're really the favorites. They really have a big chance to win it all.
6: Yes, I, you know, probably a good time to gain some momentum. Um, again, regardless of what happened and and the decisions that the NFL has made in you know Buffalo and in Kansas City uh, get to the AFC Championship. Uh, but obviously, not that, that only as a as a Catholic chaplain for a team, as a former coach and and uh, and player, uh, this is obviously highlights December with with all the bowl games on the college level, and then the playoffs beginning, and then going into January uh it really hypes up so um you know i i do like uh, uh just uh, again from the naked eye uh, sitting back um uh just observing uh you know i do like uh, i think we have great chances so uh
0: patrick mahomes is, is playing as well as he's ever played uh looking like an MVP once again
6: yes he's uh he's a remarkable young man um and a man of faith as well and i just uh just so glad that, that, that we, uh, uh, we have him on our team, but yeah, what a, what a great leader and, uh, a great leader in the community as well. So, uh, we're so blessed uh, for that. And, and there's many other men, uh, you know, on the team and, uh, that Lisa least I've been a part of that, uh, that, that really showcase that as well.
0: Well, Father, we'll have to talk about the playoffs as they uh, continue. There's a lot of other uh, teams uh, behind the Chiefs, uh, the Bills, the Eagles, the 49ers, Bengals, and the Cowboys that are considered favorites to win it all. But only one team will come away with the Lombardi Trophy. Father Roca, thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. Really appreciate uh, your spiritual perspective on the game and your love of the game of football
6: thank you and god bless you and, and relevant radio
0: thank you so much father yeah. richard roca the catholic chaplain for the kansas city chiefs uh, i want to bring in uh, my uh, colleague uh, glenn leverance uh, into the conversation i know uh, glenn is, uh, you are such a, a big football fan uh, this is always exciting to see uh, the nfl playoffs uh, kicking off here with the uh, wild card games
3: yeah, absolutely. Coming up this weekend, uh, a <laughs> slug of games, got six of them over three days. And uh, many feel that the bills with that extra boost uh, from everything around Demar Hamlin uh, could give them a very good shot to, to you know, really make it tough for Kansas city to, to waltz all the way to the uh, the Super Bowl. But we know those uh, chiefs are an awesome team as well. But uh, yeah, just interesting to see the humanity returning. For a bit to, to sports, not that it was ever all the way gone, but uh, some football hearts were softened, I think, with the whole DeMar situation, John, in the last couple weeks.
0: There's no question, as I, as I said to, to Father Roca, I, it just really felt like uh, you know football was secondary. Americans of all stripes, uh, of all denominations, and of all uh, NFL teams, really came uh, together to pray for Demar. And we're seeing uh, really the results of of so many prayers that have really uh, come to life. Uh, as as we're seeing him uh, really, really on his way to, to recovery. As I said the other day, I wouldn't be surprised if, if somehow in miraculous fashion, uh, he puts on his uh, uniform once again.
3: Mm, be, be great to see.
0: As far as on the field this weekend, uh, your bears, John finished first
3: in the race for the, uh, first draft pick next year, You're trying are to be nice. playoff picks for this weekend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about your Vikings there, Glenn?
3: Well, yep. They're in the playoffs. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's always an adventure in the postseason for, uh, Viking fans that's for sure you got any uh picks for victors on the field there
0: well i'll tell you what i think uh the chiefs and the bills have to be uh the favorites uh, the, the chiefs uh, you know with patrick mahomes having this unbelievable season 14 and 3 of course they have the the bye uh, uh this weekend but uh, the bills are the emotional favorites especially after uh the situation uh with uh with damar
3: Yep and their game comes up on Sunday. They host Miami. That's at uh, noon central for for the Bills there for those that want to want to cheer along.
0: All right. We better
3: shift gears a little bit here, John, as uh, we get into our story corner now for the day. Our story today called God is Merciful. Once upon a time a powerful king had a large orchard It was filled with a vast variety of fruit trees. His Majesty employed a skilled gardener to tend the trees. Each day the gardener would pick the most ripe and juicy fruits from the various trees and gather them into a basket. Every morning when the royal court was in session, the gardener would go and present the fruits to the king. One day the gardener collected some cherries, took them to the royal palace. It just so happened that day the king was in a foul mood. He carefully picked a cherry to sample only to find it was sour. The king vented his anger at the gardener. In a fit of rage, he launched a cherry right at his servants. He hit the poor gardener square in the forehead. The gardener's response? God is merciful. Well, greatly puzzled, the king inquired, God is merciful. You must be hurt and angry. Why did you say that? The gardener replied, Your Majesty, My original plan today was to bring you pineapples. This could have been so much worse. God was merciful for prompting me to change my mind. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called
0: according to his purpose. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. One of my favorite scriptures. God really is merciful. Let's get off to a great start this new year. Try to go to Daily Mass if you can and pray the family rosary across America, 7 p.m. Central tonight with our very own Drew Mariani and Maggie Groeschel, uh, subbing for Father Rocky. That'll do it for this Friday edition of Morning Air. For Glenn Leverance producers uh, Gabby Burke, Sarah Tafoya, our entire Morning Air team, I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next Morning Air. Have a great weekend. Jesus, I trust in you. The Patrick Madrid Show
1: is straight ahead.